Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. The reading for today is from Psalm 67, verses 1 through 7. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the na all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, good morning, church. Uh, for you that are gathered here, those of you that are tuning in at home, it's good to be here to focus on the Lord Jesus. If I've never met you before, I have an echo, and my name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Trinity City Church. A couple of things to uh, highlight before we pray and look at Psalm 67. Uh, one thing is if you're here this morning and you're like, cool church, but the AV visual setup's a little janky. Well, you're in luck because we are doing a fundraiser right now uh, to raise funding to get two screens in here eventually. We, a lot of our years, uh, we uh, did not own property. This is a place that we purchased around 2016. Around 2019, 2020, some things happened to kind of throw us off course for some of the things that we were focusing on. And uh, we decided to jump back into a fundraiser that we were actually planning to do in 2020, but wanted to bring back now uh, to get some permanent screens, permanent projectors in this space and to kind of like even this out a little bit. So if you um, are interested in more information on that, go to our website, go to the donation giving tab on the website, and uh, you would be able to donate to this fundraiser um, by going uh, and selecting the building campaign uh, line item for that. And we're hoping to uh, raise about 40K to get this thing uh, going, and it'd be great uh, if we are able to reach that goal sometime this fall to get them installed. We are doing a Summer in the Psalms series again. We've done this many years in a row. Uh, we do about 10 uh, each summer, so that can help you guess a little bit how many summers we've been doing this. Uh, we're in Psalm 67. We'll be ending at Psalm 70 uh, this year around Labor Day weekend before we launch into our next sermon series. But before we dive into Psalm 67, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I am so grateful for the people that you have gathered in this place and gathered in their homes to pause and to focus on you right now. We come here with weary hearts, anxious souls that long to be satisfied in your glory and the unity that you bring to all peoples and in this gospel message that is going to extend and is extending to the ends of the earth. I pray, Lord, this morning that based on what you say in Psalm 67, we have a big and global reminder of the power of your gospel that will extend to every nook and cranny of this globe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you getting exhausted yet by culture wars and division and anxiousness from headlines. Are you there yet, or is it just me? I have an assumption 
that based on all your faces, like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much done with this. Pretty much done with the exhaustion. I think one of the things that is common right now in pastoral ministry is to talk to individuals and families in uh, our congregations, and we're hearing a very similar story. And the similar story is that your relationships with friends and families are stressed right now. You used to have conversations about a variety of things, but right now you're just seeking guidance on how do you maintain a relationship with your neighbor, with your friends, with a family member, when you can't even talk anymore about masks or vaccines or politics without the whole thing blowing up and becoming divided. Some of you are worried about what uh, family members and friends are up to right now and the directions that they are being taken uh, in. Some of you are worried about family members that are going on all in on conspiracy theories from the internet or critical theories from the campuses and it concerns you to see it. And a lot of you are worried about it and anxious about it and the division that it's causing in your personal life. And this stress is not alleviated by headlines and news at the moment. And it's not just local and global headlines that we are reading about, but the continuous reminder every day that our society is being tested and driven right now in directions of division, tribalism, and conflict between neighbors and between nations with global conflicts also in the headlines currently. And I was thinking about you and this reality that we're always experiencing when I was reading Psalm 67 this week because Psalm 67 is the opposite of all that crap. It is the exact opposite of it all. Because in Psalm 67, we get yet again a vision of what God's global plan is, what's being accomplished right now, and what will be the reality at the end of history. And that is a picture of all tongues, tribes, and nations not being divided, but, by, but being united under the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things I hope that you that are weary of these divisions in your personal life and the stress of the culture wars will feel today as we lean into Psalm 67 is refreshment of the reality of what God's gospel is doing even right now. We will see three ways that uh, we will gain a global vision of God's gospel when we see that God's salvation is to all peoples, God's rule to all nations, and God's restoration to the ends of the earth. All calling everybody, every people group, every person in this room, and every person to the ends of the earth to be glad for God's salvation in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So let's first look at God's salvation to all peoples, verses 1 through 2 of Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. That first verse God's graciousness and blessing us, making his face shine on us, is, is also found in Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 26, a major blessing of the Old Testament where it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Many of you growing up in traditions where that is a common benediction, a common blessing that you receive from God's word before you go back to your daily lives. When you read a blessing like that, it's a reminder of God's posture towards you in the gospel. What do you believe to be God's posture towards you this morning? How does he look at you? The psalm opening verse, number six, reminds us that through blessing us in Christ, God is giving us the good life, and he keeps us secure in his grace. And our Heavenly Father's face is not one of disappointment towards you, but one of graciousness and compassion and love. I uh, grew up as the, the youngest in a family, which means that I had my share of times that family members and aunts and uncles and parents gave me a lot of eye rolls and shook their head at my actions. And I have vivid pictures of human faces when I think about me messing up or not doing things quite right, where it's just like, oh, the rookie, is he ever going to figure this out? But when you come to Psalm 67, when you think of number six, that is not God's face towards you in the gospel. God's face is one that shines towards you because of his graciousness and his kindness towards you because of the work of Jesus Christ. God's face shines and extends grace to us broken sinners and gives us the blessed life kept by him through grace, and it's a life of peace and blessedness. And what is the point of this? If you know this to be true in the gospel, that God's face shines on you because of his salvation towards you, what is the point of it? And verse 2 tells us, so that this salvation may be known to the ends of the earth, to all peoples, that they would know among all nations God's salvation. This gift that has been given to you is meant to be shared with others. This good news that you have heard is meant to be proclaimed to others. That's how the gospel being given to the church works. It extends to all peoples. It's like a rainstorm hitting the headwaters of the Mississippi, and the rain and blessing of that storm does not stay there, but it extends to different cities and counties and states. And so, too, when we are saturated with the rains of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church, we are just the headwaters, and it's supposed to extend out now to our neighborhoods, our city, and our world. That is the goal of the gospel. And the goal actually doesn't just stop there. It isn't the, the chief or the ultimate goal of the church. is not merely to spread the gospel. The mission is to proclaim the gospel to an even greater end than that. Uh, pastor and author John Piper wrote these opening lines in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Quote, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, 
but worship abides forever. I remember when I read that opening paragraph, it ruined the rest of the book. It ruined the rest of the book because that that's a good opening to a book. And you're supposed to get people's attention with an opening, but this one's almost so good that the rest of the book was like, nah. I mean, think about it this way. It'd be like your first date with who ended up being your spouse was the peak, and everything else was just okay, right? That's not an ideal way to conduct things, right? That's this book. That's how good this opening is. I constantly come back to this when I think about the mission of God, when I think about the calling on our lives to extend this gospel message to every nook and cranny of the entire globe and remember that the mission isn't the ultimate goal, but what results from this mission when people believe and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, it's worship, it's adoration of our great King and God. That is the goal. We exist and the mission of the church exists because there's so many places in this city and around the world where worship does not exist. And that's why we do what we do. That is the ultimate goal. But God's praise isn't just happening because of his salvation to all peoples. It's also happening because of his rule over all nations. Psalm 67, when you get to verse 3, it's also repeated in verse 5. So you're reminded of what the goal of all this stuff is. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. In verse 4, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. And they do that because of the salvation we just mentioned, but also because of another thing, that everybody is coming to the Lord and praising him in joy. In verse For it says, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. Yes, we praise God because of his salvation and grace, but also, and related to this, God's rule of justice, peace, and equity is also a source of praise and worship. God's justice is perfect justice. In God's court, the ruling is always going to be fair and just. And it's interesting because I think human beings are always thinking about uh, God's justice from this angle of, of trying to convince others how God's justice agrees with our justice. But do you ever think about it from the, the opposite? Because if that's true, that means a bunch of people have the wrong view of God's justice and you have political and maybe public policy opinions that are wrong. So that means also what we ought to be thinking about is there will be a day when we get to see God's justice, his rule, in all its full glory. And in that moment, you aren't just going to be thinking about how you were right. In that moment, you're going to be exposed to the various things that you have voted for and believed in and divided with family members over where you were wrong because our sense of justice and our advocacy of things is not perfect like God's perfect justice and peace and equity. God's people are praising him for his justice, for his peace, for his equity. I know I've mentioned this before in a previous sermon series, but it's almost a universal reality that pastors don't like to particularly pastor during presidential election years because there's this predictable emotional cycle that happens to people every four years where we lose it for a little bit. We lose it, and it's a reminder 
of some things that God needs to rearrange in our hearts uh, when it comes to when we think about human rulers and human justice. What happens every four years is that politicians will try to convince you of their political salvation, that their ideas and their policies is going to be the thing that will finally fix everything and unite the divided nations uh, under this earthly ruler. And that's the offer, that's the salvation. And what ends up happening each and every election cycle is that whoever's in power is still ends up resulting in more division, more partisanship, and more demonizing of the other side. It's not that nothing ever good comes from different elected leaders and different parties in positions of power. Each party has implemented policies that have served the common good. But compare those humble realities to the sweeping claims that politicians make for you and towards you each and every election cycle. On the other side of people taking power again, it's always a huge stinking letdown, is it not? that the sweeping claims of salvation never come to fruition, no matter who is in power, whether they're a donkey or an elephant, it doesn't matter. Neither of them deliver, but it will not be so with God's rule. It will be utterly different than these earthly experiences that we have. On the other side of God's salvation and justice and rule and equity will be a kingdom that extends to every corner of the earth, and he will rule with justice, peace, equity, and unity of all people. And it is something that we have yet to experience in this life because no human ruler or political party will ever deliver that promise. Only Jesus can. And the third reason we see that we are praising God from every corner of the globe is God's restoration that extends to the ends of the earth. Look at verses 6 through 7. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. What is evidence of God's blessings? Well, the one that this psalm emphasizes is that it's a land yielding its harvest. And this seems like an odd turn of events. Why is this being highlighted? How does this connect with everything else that's been talked about? The way to wrap your mind around it is to remember the, uh, remember the comprehensive nature of God's salvation. God's gospel is not just a restoration project of our faith, but he restores our character and he, res and he restores everything about the world around us too. Because sin is also comprehensive in its impact of all things. Sin not only impacts individuals, but all of creation, which groans. Creation groans, Romans 8 says, because of sin that has infected us and, and creation itself. That's why the giving and blessing of the land is such a big theme in the Old Testament and it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Because the reality of our land, our work, our environment is that it is shot through with sin. Remember in uh, the story of the fall that happens in Genesis 3, 
part of the impact of sin is described this way, where God says to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Sin cursed the land, but God's promise of restoration is a land that flourishes. And you have this picture that we have throughout the Old Testament, especially here in Genesis 3, where life and your work and your calling is much like a gardener where you find yourself with a task to do in a garden, and what you want is that garden to flourish and benefit other people. But the frustrating thing is that thorns and thistles keep messing up your plan. As soon as you think that you are ahead of these things, you're not. They grow back. I just, I'm recently reminded of this because we, as you know, moved into a new place, and uh, the folks that lived there before had these at one time, gorgeous gardens everywhere. There's like barely any grass in our yard or the backyard. And I just know myself, like I get frustrated with these uh, realities because anytime I've tried to manage a garden, it feels like as soon as I pull something out that's not supposed to be there, it grows back the next day and I don't like it. I just want to hack it down with a lawnmower. But that's the frustrating reality. But it's not just about gardening that we experience that. All of our environments have their own thorns and thistles that are growing up in them. I'll give you some examples so you can wrap your mind around what I mean. If you're in construction, right now you might be dealing with the thorns and thistles of a shortage of good help and a broken supply and demand chain that is rising costs for your supplies. You could be a financial planner and you have thorns and thistles of managing other people's bad financial decisions but also things like a global recession that could mess up these vocations. You could be a medical professional and you have the thorns and thistles of people's bad personal health choices, but then new variants that are giving rise to overwhelmed hospitals. All of our vocations, all of our environments have their thorns and thistles that are overwhelming our created world. Yet the day is coming when God will remove these things forever and the land will be restored so it can flourish forever. And the end goal of this is stated a little bit differently to close Psalm 67. The text reminds us that again, the goal of this restoration project is so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Fear here is not being terrified of God. Wouldn't that be a huge letdown for you to come here today with all your burdens and the news was, good news today, saints. God has saved you. He's going to rule you with equity and restore all things around you so that you can be scared of him forever. That would be terrible news, but that's not here uh, what the, the word fear is referring to. The fear of the Lord is reverence. It's the weight that you feel on your soul when you experience and see God's glory and his holiness. And it's the exposure to this graciousness and kindness of God in Jesus Christ. And it's the type of weight that brings you to your knees in worship when you see it with open eyes. In the scriptures, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the source of life. The fear of the Lord is to be treasured. God's people delight in and rejoice in 
the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 22, 4 says that humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Fear, reverence, humility are very, very close to being the same thing. And when you live this reverent, humble life, it is liberating, especially if there's this constant pressure to be prideful and boastful in your, your life and your accomplishments. Our culture is a boastful society. Pastors brag about the size of their churches, investors about the wealth of their portfolios, and educators about the many degrees from prestigious universities. Yet we forget, we forget in light of who God is, that the church is God's global and glorious movement, that he is the creator of all things, and that in him is infinite wisdom. And when we keep going back to God's majesty in this way, the proper response is to say, I'm not a big deal. My accomplishments are nothing. I just want to live a peaceful, ordinary life in faithful obedience to God as a result of his graciousness and be more boastful about God's gospel than anything else because who am I? And I know, and many of you have said this too, when you believe in that good news, it is once one of the most liberating things in the world is to stop taking yourself so seriously and stop putting this pressure on yourself to constantly perform. It's not about us. It's about God's glory and what he is achieving right now in real time for his purposes. And that's where I want to conclude this message today. As a reminder of how all of this has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in Christ, this mission that is extended to the ends of the earth will be finished by him. Revelation 5.9 says, and this is a, a picture of God's redeemed people and all of creation singing a new song to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, where they sing, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. We're living again in a historical moment where we have this constant reminder of humanity's division, tribalism, the unrest that we feel, and Psalm 67 comes and it's a reminder. It's a reminder that we remember that in Jesus Christ, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation and language will be brought back to God because of his blood shed on a cross. The Christian faith is a diverse, global movement of the gospel. And from the start, the Lord Jesus not only reached out and redeemed the Jewish people, but also Samaritans and Gentiles like us. And today the reality is, and sometimes it's uh, easy to forget this, like the, the Christian faith is the most diverse global faith that has ever existed and that will ever exist. I remember reading the stat years ago, and it continues to be true and being shown to be proven true. It was a sociologist uh, named Philip Jenkins who writes, by 2050, so we're not even there yet, by 2050, only about one-fifth of the world's three billion Christians will be non-Hispanic whites. So soon the phrase, a white Christian, may sound like a curious oxymoron. 
a mild, as mildly surprising as a Swedish Buddhist. I thought you'd appreciate that quote, being from Minnesota and living in Minnesota. That's happening right now. That's the reality right now. This isn't just aspirational. God's promises to reach the ends of the earth are occurring in our day and in our midst. And Psalm 67 says, when you are discouraged by the unrest, the division, the tribalism, how everything seems to be separating humanity, remember that as the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth, what is happening is this global movement that is united around the one reality of the blood-bought purchase of our salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And that is bringing all peoples together for their joy and the joy of all nations. And that's what we remember this morning as weary saints in this world. Again, we move to a time.